Welcome to Pebble in the Pond, a podcast that hopes to create a ripple of change for mental health. My name is Sam Stewart and I'm the CEO of the Australian and New Zealand Mental Health Association. Each year I have the pleasure of attending events to meet and connect with the most fascinating and accomplished people in mental health. Listen in as I go one-on-one with the people changing the face of mental health in Australia and New Zealand, from lived experience speakers through to researchers, academics and influential industry leaders. Our Pebble in the Pond podcast episodes may contain themes or topics of discussion that may be triggering to some listeners. If you feel you need assistance with your mental health at any time, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or visit the Get Help page for additional resources at anzmh.asn.au. Hello everyone and thanks for tuning in to another episode of Pebble in the Pond. I appreciate the feedback and the comments uh, we're getting from hearing from our listeners over the past 16 episodes. It's great to get the feedback uh, and we do truly appreciate your support uh, from the mental health community. Today in episode 17, it gives me a great pleasure to introduce or to share with you rather a conversation I recently, recently had with Senator Rachel Seward. Rachel has been in Parliament for 14 years and during that time has built up a vast portfolio in family community services, ageing, mental health and First Nations issues. As Chair of the Senate Community Affairs Reference Committee from 2009, Rachel has also brought to light landmark issues such as suicide prevention, hearing health, income inequality, forced adoptions and out-of-home care. In relation to rural and remote mental health, however, Rachel is a strong advocate for communities driving change for long-term sustainable solutions. How important is that? Getting the community involved and getting them to help drive the change. That bottom-up approach is something that we hear a lot of and I'm looking forward to sharing a conversation that I have with Rachel about this. So tune in with me as I discuss with Rachel the challenges and opportunities facing rural mental health as well as the importance of putting basic tools back into the hands of the community. All right, welcome to the podcast and joining me today is Senator Rachel Seward. Thanks very much for coming along today. My pleasure. Uh, it's been great to have you here at the conference, but also um, sharing your everything that you've been doing lately. But I also uh, admire the work that you've been doing the last couple of years, especially with mental health and access to mental health services in rural and remote areas in Australia. So I appreciate the work you're doing. Oh, thank you. Talk about leadership and women in leadership, especially. Uh, you've been uh, you've been a senator for 14, 15, years, 15, going on going on 15, 15 going years. Going on fifteen years, yeah. So tell us, how did you get into that role? Um, it, very interesting. Um, I used to run the conservation council for sixteen years, and before that, I actually worked for the Department of Agriculture on salinity and natural resource management, and. Well, one of the issues for women in politics is a lot of us never think that we'd be able to do that or don't think about going into politics. Yeah. Fortunately for me, a number of um, my friends and people in the conservation movement um, were uh, very active and literally somebody, the, the common story for women in particular in politics is, you know, you get tapped on the shoulder. I was literally tapped on the shoulder and someone said, You've been, you know, doing all these things. Have you ever thought about going into politics? Um, and 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 that what's that's what made me think. And a lot of when I was working for the Conservation Council is about trying to change policy and getting, you know, talking to politicians around advocacy. And so I thought it it's actually about time that I tried it from another side. Yeah. So um, of course, for me, the Greens were the, you know. I was at the Greens. <laughs> yeah. When I got tapped on the shoulder, I was actually with my friends celebrating the fact that two of them had just got elected um, oh, to wow. Parliament for the Greens, the state Parliament. Um, and so, you know, of course, I would never, would never have contemplated any, anyone else <laughs> but the Greens. Yeah, yeah. Because I was so actively involved. Of course. Mm. Uh, and so you've achieved a lot already. And um, I mean, especially when I see you know, the different things that you're up to and the different portfolios that you're in charge of. Mm. Tell me how mental health came about as, as one of your portfolios. Is it something that's always interested you? Um, yes, it, yes, it's always interested me. Um, I got exposed, but, but, you know, a lot of my previous work, as people can, you know, tell from where I worked previously, has been in 
um, natural resource management and environment. And so I came to social justice, um, besides you know, going to protests and things about yeah. uh, various issues, environmental and social justice issues, yeah. I hadn't really been actively engaged in uh, professionally in social justice issues or as part of the work that I do. And as I got into it, I just got more and more absorbed in, into it and, and mental health is so fundamentally important and it's the poor cousin to physical health mm. and it's so important to address mental health from so many perspectives that it, it's something that I got deeply attracted to. Yeah, so it's, it's one of your four portfolios, is that correct? Yes. That's so, right. Yeah, yeah. Indigenous, uh, Torres Strait Islander people. Yes, uh, I've got uh, First Nations, um, mental mental health, aged care, and family and community services. Now, for me, those portfolios go also well together. I was going to say this. And there's sort of similarities. Exactly. There's they they fit well together, and mental health of course crosses all of those um, yeah. portfolio areas. Yeah, and so. Uh, so mental health is something that obviously that you've you've always been a believer in. You've always supported, and uh, how does it feel? How did it feel to be driving this in a in a national inquiry? Um, uh, the issues around regional, you know, regional and remote uh, mental health are so important because they're so. While mental health, of course, is important across whole of Australia. Yeah. It, there are particular issues for rural and regional communities that a um, we know that people in the in the and I'll just colloquially call it the bush at the moment, even though it's really important to yes. make sure we're focused on the mode as well. Um, but you know the the stark facts of the fact of people in the bush do not access mental health services mm. as much as people in the city. You, you know you. You know, that one thing says a lot when you know there are major issues in terms of um, mental wellness or lack of mental wellness in, in many communities. And so being a, finally starting the inquiry was really, and actually it started when we were, the first hearing was in Albany and we had no power. The power, there was a massive storm went through Albany and there was no power in the whole of the town. Wow. And we held the inquiry anyway. When was this? Was this, this so last this was year? last year. March, um, April. Ma uh, when did we start? Yeah, around that time. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And and so we we held it anyway. We had our Hansard reporters bring uh, uh, Hansard and broadcast staff bring backup batteries. So we went ahead. We did, we couldn't broadcast, but we recorded everything. Um, and then we were running around, we were doing a backup, running, literally running around mobile phones and recording it on mobile phones so that it was a backup in case the batteries for, for broadcast and Hansard failed. And no lights, we were in the public library, no lights, um, and, and we did it anyway. And it was, it, and the witnesses were all so keen to appear, nothing, you know, like, yeah, didn't disturb wow. them to be giving us evidence. So Gee. in one way, it just, it for me, and I know Albany actually really well, so, yeah. um, but for me it said a lot about, you know, people would just go ahead and, you know, rural and regional areas will just go ahead and ignore the difficulties, so. Yeah, so, so let's go ahead and, and start just talking about the inquiry. So it was the uh, inquiry into rural and remote mental health. And you went to, was it 14 or? or? So, yes, 16, 16. 16 different locations yes. nationwide. Right? Yes, yeah. So, and that included remote communities. We're in, we went to um, Catherine, we we're in Karnara, we we're in Derby. How was, how was that as an experience? Um, it was, I, for a start, I love being in, in the bush. Yeah. Um, and I get, I go to Aboriginal communities every chance I get, for example. But, um, going to some of, you know, we were in Mount Isa, we were in a, a range of them. So having the, the experience in the various communities was really important. But we also heard some really distressing mm. uh, information. And so, you, you know, it's, it's good being there, yeah. but also you hear a lot of it's real. very real, very um, distressing information. Yeah. And, you know, we, were, we, we also went into the Derby Regional Prison because we wanted to know about, yeah. um, and we went to the Barclay 
regional um, centre as well because we wanted to hear around mental health and detention. It's particularly important for in remote communities for Aboriginal people who have so much interaction with the justice system, um, with many with very poor mental health, um, and it's difficult sometimes to get access to services. So we had a, a vast range of experiences and heard a lot of a lot of information. Um, and you know the differences from regional communities, um, regional towns, regional communities, remote communities, and then the centres in remote communities. Mm. Such an such such a difference in um, experiences, but also there were some commonalities in terms of lack of services. Yeah. Um, the the uh, isolation, uh, stigma, um, very and you know I mentioned it today when we were, when I was in another session is that stigma I think is a much bigger issue in the bush than in the city. It's still an issue in the city. Is I'm not trying right? to play it down, but I think in the city, the education, the educational materials, and the process, and there's a, a you know the there's there's a lot of awareness yeah. programs. But I don't think they're necessarily cutting through Is for people, right? or people feel the stigma, even if, even if other people aren't judging mm. them. So, one of the things is we heard very early on is that people will go to another town to receive uh, mental health or drug and alcohol services because people don't see them accessing the services. If you're in a small town, you everybody knows what car you drive. Everybody knows. You know, you can see you go in and out yeah. of so, and people don't want other people to know. And so, I think that's a, it. It is still not adequately addressed. Mm. I mean, we've still got a long way to go in the city, yeah. uh, in the cities, but in the in the bush, I think we've got even further to go. How much is it? Is it self stigma? Is it stigma with regards to the community? Do you think it's more workplace stigma, especially in these? Rural, like the remote fly in, fly out sort of stuff. I mean, or is it an indigenous? Do you feel like it's, it's it's more? I think some of it is definitely self stigma. They yeah. think they're going to be judged. Yeah. Whereas, and the other flip side, and we you know we've been talking a bit today, is that regional communities can be really supportive. And I've lived in regional community and I've felt that support. Um, and so I think a lot of it you've put your finger on, it, and a lot of it is actually self stigma, um, and. In many, in many, many times I've heard where when people found out, they actually, you know, their broader community found out, people got actually really strong support. Um, I think there are pockets in workplaces, for example, definitely. Um, but in terms of, yeah, the stigmas, I think people put yeah. it, feel it them, themselves probably more than is actually there. Yeah. So how long did the inquiry go from? Because I know it started around March last year. Um, we reported... Um, Was it December? Did, um, we reported at the uh, end of last year, yes. And, okay. Uh, sorry. I think, I think it was the end of and December. And then the government responded in April this year. Wow. Yeah. And that was one of the quickest responses I've had from a, from a government. I think it helped, quite frankly, that the election was coming. But, yeah. I mean, that's great. It was yeah. good because... They've supported most of the recommendations, although I was asking the estimates just last week about implementation and they haven't really started implementing many of the recommendations they said they supported. So yeah. the job is now for us to keep hassling them about it. The, one of the excuses, for example, the, the I'm very strong on making sure we get the rural and regional remote, you know, the, yeah. the uh, strategy, mental health strategy. And the government said they support that. But when I asked them last week about it, they said, oh, we're waiting for, you know, the Royal Commission. Uh, not the Royal Commission, I beg your pardon, aged care, the um, Productivity Commission. Yeah. Um, and, you know, really they could start working on it before the Productivity Commission reports because, yeah. A, we need to get it done and, B, they know many of the issues and Productivity Commission reports and recommendations can then feed into it. So I'm a little bit um, frustrated that we're mm. not seeing progress made in some of those key areas. How, uh, how often has it been that there's an inquiry has been made specifically for rural and remote mental health? Is this the first one, to your knowledge, it's, or is it the first one in recent times? It's, the first, it's certainly the first one in recent times. Okay. Um, there's probably, you know, we've picked up when we've had other inquiries We've obviously looked at 
regional and remote um, mental health. But in terms of the Senate, it's and there's there's been inquiries to first responders, and they certainly looked at um, the uh, the mental health of first responders, which wasn't our committee; it was another um, committee. But that uh, also looked at regional issues. So it's not that the issues have never been looked at, but it was an inquiry specifically focused just on rural, regional, and remote. First responders, mental health. Speaking of that, I mean, we just had a conference on that in Townsville. Frontline mental health, first responders. Yeah. And it's, I mean, yeah, the challenges that they go through is just. I mean, it's uh, you know truly horrendous. It I, is. Unfortunately, I couldn't spend as much time on that inquiry as I would have yeah. liked to because we had so much going on. But I certainly was a participating member in that, yeah. and uh, and paid a lot of attention uh, to it. And it, there are really significant you know, issues yep. there. Um, the, Senate in, the Senate committee also did, and it's, oh, it, it, eight or nine years ago now, we did an uh, inquiry into suicide prevention and I'm, I was chairing that. I also made sure we paid specific attention to the bush and in particular yeah. to First Nations issues because they, they are different again. Um, yeah. Into uh, and we're you know, we sometimes I think we're two steps forward, one step back. How 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 important is it to get out there with with this inquiry or with any process to really go to the to the front line to the coalface where where people where the indigenous where the indigenous or the other rural yeah. remote communities are actually living and actually getting their feedback, their buy in, and understanding yeah. what they're living. It's absolutely essential. Yeah. Without and that's I've chaired many inquiries now through the Community Affairs Committee, and I make sure that we get out all the time because mm. without hearing from people's lived experience, why do you bother? Mm. If you're not going to get out and actually listen to people, and uh, it, it's really important to hear people's lived experience, to feel people's lived experience, and also to engage the broader community in the parliamentary process. Mm. Because I also see that I also see it as if people are can come and talk to us, realize that actually we're human and we care, politicians are human and we care, that ex, that's good for our democracy, I reckon, but it's also good for people's engagement to feel like they're being heard, not feel like but actually being heard. Yeah. Because um, there's a difference. You know, yes. there's a difference between, you know, people talking to people, but then also actively uh, a group of people coming out and sitting there and really asking them questions. Yes. Specifically yeah. relating to certain things, as it, I'm sure you know. Yeah. And, and there, there's some, is really, some, as, as I said earlier, you know, you hear, and I, I remember quite a long time ago um, during our forced adoption inquiry, I was chairing it and I um, said to a witness after some quite, powerful evidence I said thank you for telling us your story and she looked at me and she said I didn't tell you a story I told you my account that is a story is can be made up mm. this is my this is my lived experience this is my this truth, is my truth. Mm. it's my account so I always now try whenever possible to say accounts yes. because people aren't telling us stories they're telling us their mm. lived experience they're telling the accounts of their lives mm. and that stuck with me ever since Ever since then, it's an interesting it stuck with distinction, me. isn't it? Yes, it Only is. Slight, but it yes, is. and and so when people come, they are coming and telling us their accounts, their lived experience of what it's like to experience poor uh, mental health in the bush, but also what it's like to experience failure of services and supports. Yeah. And so then, if we if we look to that, then so the inquiry itself, I mean, we're really addressing rural remote mental health, and out of that, obviously, a big part of it was. Uh, you know, I mean, there are high rates of suicide in rural and remote mm. Australia, so they are facing significant challenges. Isolation, as you mentioned before, as yeah. well, lack of education and awareness mm. uh, about what to do. Was there, were there, was there anything surprising you in this process? Was there something you sat there and thought, "Wow, I didn't think it was um, like this"? Was there anything that was? There was the influence in different communities. There were different influences in terms of what might be affecting uh, somebody's poor mental health. Okay. Um, it can be um, circumstances of the for when we were in the Kimberley, for example. Some of the and you know people's probably 
heard some of the media around it, the lack of uh, experts in terms of addressing some of the child abuse that was raised, the ongoing impacts. Um, issues around the still the lack of recognition around the intergenerational trauma. Mm. Um, I suppose it's it's surprising that we're still having to do this. We were still having to do it in 2018. 20, you know, we're still talking about the fact that there's not enough services and how we should be providing how we should be providing those services when we've known these issues around mental health you know there's been an increase that, you know there has been an increase in the awareness around mental health there's no doubt about it we are addressing issues around stigma and yet we're still not getting the service provision right and we still don't understand or we're still not providing those services to the bush and we're still talking about well what's the best way to provide those services and it's so i i found that probably frustrating rather than yeah surprising um issues while, as I touched on before, there was common issues across places, but then each, you know, lots of different places had their specific challenges. challenges. Yeah. And so, so... It could be addictions, it could be domestic it, violence, exactly. it could be yeah. gambling, it yeah. could be all these different factors. Exactly. And, and, you know, different... Uh, the uh, Well, the really, one of the things that I took on board in terms of First Nations was the issue around... Well, health professionals go in, mental health, across the board. It's not just mental health professionals, but services go in and they often go into some key people in the community which who are the people that are quite often in Aboriginal communities, for example, they'll be um, the person that everybody goes to if they're in trouble or if they're not feeling well, mm -hmm. they need advice about something. And that's the person the community people go into. And then the professionals, you know, the, the workforce goes when they're flying in, for example, they go to that person as well. And that person's basic basic community and intellectual property, they mine. Mm. And, and that person's not paid. Yeah. Whereas, you know, one of the things that I'd like to see is, you know, peer support, very strong support for peer support, for example. Yeah. And, and acknowledging and paying for those people that are, the key people in community that support the services when they go in, for example. Um, one of the really interesting things when you talk about um, something that I hadn't thought about before is particularly in First Nation communities, we heard from uh, the need for interpreters. Now, I knew about that, of course, but the, the, the interpreter service, from, I still call it the Kimberley Interpreting Service, um, even though it's changed its name, um, they gave us some really powerful evidence around vicarious trauma, mm. which was the trauma that interpreters feel when they're relaying the accounts from people in language. Of course, they're... You don't think of that. You don't think of that. Mm. And they're doing it all the time. And, and so they then need support, which then, of course, it gets back to the similar issues to the first responders, a little bit different because it's yeah. recounting the story. They're not there immediately when this is happening, but it's still similar sort of yeah. trauma that can occur, again, to, to mental health workers as well, wow. the, the trauma and the vicarious trauma yeah. they uh, have. And so that is something that, you know, people were just looking at each other going, never thought of that. Yeah. And yet, as soon as some, as soon as they said it, it's obvious. <laughs> no, I, I agree. Uh, vicarious trauma is real, and you're right. Yeah. I mean, you don't just because you're not there when it happens. I mean, you can get it just like that, can't yeah. you? Yeah, and often the interpreters can be also if if interpreting for loved ones for their community members. So you know they're very close to the issues and often living in community. So that can be quite difficult, yet they, there's no funding for that sort of support or it hasn't been recognised as something that also needs to be supported. Yeah. So there was, a, I think um, you mentioned before, there was a lot of commonalities or similarities amongst the 16 different hearings that you travelled yeah. across to hear um, the, the inquiry from them about. Did you, did you uh, with, with the results of that, obviously access to services is, access. A, is a big one. Yes. How do you feel like we're going with that? Do you, and do you feel like, I mean, with online and stuff, but I mean, remote areas don't have internet access. Yes, well, that came up a lot, the fact that, yeah, you can have your online services, but if you can't get 
broadband or access. Yeah, or people don't or relate. drops in and I out, mean, people don't relate. One of the things that came out there is because, and I don't mean to downplay the the value of telehealth, but it can't be the thing that you rely on. And it works better for some people than others. So some people really, particularly if you've had some face-to-face support to begin with, and then you're using, particularly if you've got the same practitioner, if you're then using telehealth, it can be really effective. Other people find telehealth useful because it's that, they sort of feel like it's maybe one step removed. Mm. Uh, online services can be very helpful, but again, the mixture of online, and I've heard some really good responses to some of the uh, online supports, but I've also heard some poor ones as well. And again, we can't just go, oh, that's the bush, well, they can go online. It yeah. doesn't work that way. And you know, there's a lot of people in the city also use online support services. Mm. So both telehealth and online services clearly play a role, clearly play a role, but they can't be used as substitutes for having practitioners and health professionals actually in the community. Yeah, and I guess that comes to another challenge within rural and remote communities, and that is, you know, having sufficient resources or like the workforce to be able to be yeah. there when needed. Yeah, the workforce is a huge issue. But, you know, like I've, I've done work in, I used to have the disability portfolio. Yes. Um, I've got the aged care portfolio and the uh, mental health portfolio. The care, that we've got problems in the workforce in all three of those areas. And government is not, look at, A, if you actually step away from the specific issues for a minute and look at, you know, government keeps saying, you know, we know that we've got an unemployment problem. We know that we've got to prepare for the future. Well, a lot of the future employment is around care. Mm. And that's good. Mm. In terms of people are always going to need a workforce in that care space, a really caring, supported, uh, well-resourced, well-paid because we should be paying people for the amount yeah. of recognising the value that they contribute to the community by the care work they do, we are not planning overall enough in terms of the care economy and that mm. workforce because we need that workforce and we're going to need it even more into the future. And so that's come across in all those areas that I do work in. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a critical part of, of the process, you know, mm. and it's never going to be disrupted by, I mean, you can't get a robot to yeah. go in there. I mean, you can't do all this stuff online. Online, like you said, is a part of the process. Yeah. It's a useful tool yeah. when using conjunction with, you know, face-to-face facilitation. Yeah, exactly. But, um, but yeah, it's such a, such a big part. And you mentioned um, the disability as well before. Mm. So uh, I know that's also been part of the focus, you know, the psychological. Yeah, psychosocial disability, psychosocial disability. Psychosocial, yeah. Psychosocial, sorry. Yeah. Tell us about that part of yeah, that aspect. Okay, so that that's, comes out very strong and actually i've got to say in this instance the bush ain't special because everybody's having problems with psychosocial NDIS. however having said that the issues are more pronounced in the bush with accessing anything across anything on ndis Um, but in particular psychosocial came out really strongly being able to access being eligible testing your your accessibility and then when you've got a package there's no such, in many communities, there's no such thing as choice of a provider. In many communities, there's no provider, or there's one provider, you take it or you leave it. Mm. Um, and so we've still got really significant issues in terms of the NDIS and psychosocial services, and in particular in, in the bush. Yeah. So that's an area that we need particular attention to. Again, being able to access the workforce is a really significant issue and that's from you know the provision of of care support but then obviously the issues around uh as you get up as you get um if you want to access allied health workers if you want to access psychologists and psychiatrists it's much harder and then there's issues around accessing those services and fly in fly out and there's quite a bit of discussion in the report about fly and fly out. We saw some excellent fly and fly out services. For psychologists and stuff? For, yes, and yeah, for, yes. It, 
where there was strong connection with the community. So the key is the strong connection to community. So people don't, people didn't mind if you're flying in, if you, if you're going to be there and you're flying in like every two weeks and we saw in Wyala, there was a health professional that was, and people can read this on the Hansard, that was, I think she was going in three days in every two weeks. And that ready, she did it, she turned up, she knew the client, she's been doing it for a long time. People were fine with that because yeah. they're accessing quality services that are there in the community with consistent. somebody that not consistent with someone that knows them. And it's the same in remote communities where people are flying in and flying out, delivering services and they're consistent. And there's the same clinician, for example, that can work because they've got a relationship. Do you mean strong community? You mean not just the community being strong, but the relationship with the, the with exactly the, 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 the relationship with the workers, yes. with the with the with the care with the providers. the providers yeah. is really important. Mm -hmm. They're not seeing a different person. They're not telling their story every time. They're yeah. seeing somebody that they've got a relationship with, and that's really important. Because you can see how frustrating that would be, couldn't yeah. you, to just keep getting different people turning exactly. up? Like, well, hang on, yeah, exactly. Just, I just said yeah. my account the other week and, and you're yeah. coming back to us and saying... Exactly. But it, was, it, it, it came across really strongly that that's... Mm. So we don't... Obviously, having someone in, you know, in your town that can provide the services is, would be better. But if you can't provide that or in your community, you provide the elements, to my mind, you provide the elements of what having good what supports people properly and that is that relationship with mm. your your provider with the person that's in charge of your in your of your health and your well-being to a certain extent um, because you know they're providing you with support and advice you want to have a relationship with that person that yeah. came across really strongly how much of the rural and remote mental health uh, i guess if we look at kids which is a really important part right? mm. i mean they say with kids mental health in kids i mean that's where a lot of the, the trauma yeah. starts right the yeah. first four years of their life yeah how important is and how related is it that like the mental health the link between that and access to education sporting or some sort of other driven services available as well i think that all the from what i've seen and heard and spoken to people that's all really important I mean, I was fortunate enough to go on a delegation a couple of years ago to overseas, specifically looking at mental health. And we were talking to people at, at King's College and they were saying even, you know, prenatal is really, really important. And talking wow. to, for example, they were saying, talking to young women even before they get mm. pregnant mm. is really important. Mm. So, you know, the, the, the more research they do, the first, you know, the the for you know the more yeah. important those early years that you just pointed out yes. are really important so then it's so i think and that's why they're now focusing a lot more on early childhood and that's why i think you know the services around early childhood intervention and prevention um where needed are really important and what annoys the hell out of me is the first things that are cut when you're looking at support for kids mm -hmm. And young people is those the programs. If they're going to cut funding, they cut those early intervention and prevention, the very place where we need to be focusing. They cut that, and yet you know it's more expensive. And you know, but further on, further on not to mention, of course, the most important thing is people are then oh. ill. Is their health? So it is really important. And then having those those community supports around them. Yes, they're they're also very important. Being able to access. Um, Education, education, exactly. Yeah, and having a, you know, your well-being is really important, and all those things contribute to your to your well-being. Yeah, the, the kids' side of it is really like really crucial, as we just mentioned. It, with uh, with the aging, I know that's one of your portfolios as mm. well. If we if we talk a little bit about that with rural and remote mental health, how much did you see uh, was impacted upon or was related to? people that were elderly in, in rural and remote communities? So unfortunately we didn't, it came up because um, got, you know, we've all got an interest in it and we also know that um, the mental health in aged care is one of those issues that has not been getting the attention that yeah. it needs. I mean, they couldn't even access to, they can't, well, they still can't, access better access when you're in residential care. Mm. Uh, the government has recognised that a bit by kicking some money into 
I'm quite critical of where the, the fact, the way it has been delivered, in fact, through the um, PHNs. And I'm not having a go at the PHNs, but I personally don't think that was the best way to address the issue. And now we've got different programs across the country um, because different PHNs are delivering that funding separately, uh, differently. So I'm, I am, yeah. I must say, critical of that. However, it, it's, it, it is a significant issue. It's a significant, however, it's a, it's a significant issue that I think is not, still not adequately addressed or recognised in, uh, by, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. It's, yeah. it's not adequately recognised and I don't think, while I'm, you know, glad the government's paid attention to it, we certainly aren't resourcing it enough. Yeah. And what we're doing then is, the you know, it's the issues around sometimes um, dementias you know they bundle dementia and mental health together and while people with dementia can have poor mental health and someone with poor mental health can can also have dementia they're not one and the same and they often get treated that way and um, chemical you know and and then given medication when there needs to be better interventions than just medication yeah so with the phn side of things obviously uh more the if we look at the overarching sort of the framework but the way that inconsistent the inconsistency of the delivery of some of that yes yeah yeah so the the PHNs now have, you know, the which were Medicare locals, which were divisions of GPs. There's differences across the country. Now that's, in, I, I get it. It's important because just, you know, we're talking about locally based solutions, but there's also inconsistency across the PHNs mm. about, in terms of to be to be brutally honest, in terms of quality, and in terms, and then if you look at the types of approaches that they're they're taking. Uh, which again, you can argue is important because you're locally based decision making, but I'm, I'm not convinced that some of the differences are about that specifically and that tailored to the community. Yeah, but with the, if we go back to the, the recommendations from the inquiry, mm. how, uh, broadly speaking, um, do you have a little bit of a summary of, of the sort of recommendations that were made? So we we make a series of recommendations around uh, the mental health, the rural and regional mental health strategy, and the need yep. for that. We make a series of recommendations around uh, PHNs. We make a series of recommendations around First Nations peoples. We make a series of recommendations around um, workforce uh, training and around stigma and uh, awareness raising. Okay. Yeah. And on the preventative models as well, I think, was it? Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so with, uh, I guess, with April, with your, this year when you, mm. when you presented the findings, how did you feel about the delivery? Obviously, optimistic and hopeful that, that they would be actioned and implemented, but from the inquiry itself, did you feel like you, you sort of really got to the problem? I, th I think we got to, uh, you can, I think we, I mean, we got to a hell of a lot of problems. Sorry, yeah. there was a hell of a lot of problems yeah. that came up. So I can't say that, you know, I can't hand in my heart say we dealt with every single problem. No. Uh, but we did, I think we did, you know, get to address quite a lot of them. And uh, so I felt like that we had, given the circumstances and the resources, that we had, we had given it, you know, we'd, We'd spoken to a lot of communities, seen a lot of you know the differences and the similarities. Made a series of recommendations. Was pleased that the government supported them, but as I said earlier, they're a bit slow now implementing implementing them. Yeah. So if we look at that, then so obviously with the recommendations that were made, and, and there was a lot of really good ones that came out mm. of it. And like you mentioned before, with your frustrations, probably very similar to people who are, who are in rural and remote areas where they have these problems and, and people listen to them. Mm. But obviously then their frustration is like yours with, with the, where's the action? Yes. 
So that's, that's one of the issues is that we get to do these Senate inquiries. You get a whole lot of information. You make a whole lot of recommendations. You get very emotionally involved. Well, at least I do. Get very emotionally involved in them. And then you present the recommendations. And in theory, that's it. The Senate inquiry is reported and then you report well, to government. Done, job, yes. done our job. The government then is supposed to, within six months, they don't always respond. In fact, most often do not respond within six months. So the fact that the government responded so quickly is was quite a good thing yeah. on this one. But uh, so then the government responds and they do or don't accept the recommendations, implement and whatever. But be, particularly for community affairs, many of us who've been involved in these inquiries then get, as I said, very you know attached to the recommendations and feel very strongly about it. So we follow them up, which is why I'm I'm thought, this is why I know what's been done because I asked about it at the during estimates last week. Yeah. And so many of us then follow up the recommendations. So although officially the committee has no further role, we do in that we are pretty attached to the recommendations yeah. and to the issues. So then we hound government to implement the recommendations, at least one the ones that they've said they'll support, and then we hound them about the ones they said they aren't because they're doing the wrong thing. But anyway, that's in my opinion. <laughs> well, and, and plus, I guess, with the people that you went out there and you saw and you interviewed and they came to, the, to tell yeah. you all this stuff, I mean, you feel like exactly. you have a responsibility. Yeah, that and you often, you don't always see them all again, but, you know, just being here at the mm. conference, I've run into quite a few who said, oh, we gave evidence and we <laughs> saw your recommendations and thanks for following them up. And yeah. so people actually care. They've, you know, they've given particularly people telling you about their lived experience. They want to know that they were heard and what's, what's happened to it. And yeah. there's, there have been key things that have come out of Senate inquiries, mm. not just community affairs inquiry, but other Senate inquiry, you know, other committees. But, you know, we've... A number of significant actions have arisen from the recommendations that past inquiries have made. And so it does make a difference. As you know, when you get a phone call to say, can you come to a Senate inquiry? You know, it can make a really significant difference hearing your lived experience, hearing your professional experience. It can make a really significant difference. And so if you look at the recommendations that were made and accepted, how do you feel uh, that? Or when do you feel like that will start being action in, in proposing the questions to them? Previous, well, this recent. is this is in terms of Obviously, because the productivity yeah. commission is now sort of coming in, and there's yeah. other you know there's other things um, coming to it as well. You'd have got the 2020 um, blueprint. Uh, sorry, 2020. Sorry, 2030 blueprint that they're talking about. So there's other things that are happening as well, but. The thing is with the Senate inquiry, the focus on rural and regional, it keeps it up front, mm. keeps that. It's not just about the cities it's also, and metro. It's also, you know, we've got to just keep hammering the fact that it's, it is different in the bush. There are different issues. Um, access to services is different. And all the things we've been talking about, and we've got to keep hounding and pushing to say, you've got to make sure that you are tailoring programs to meet the needs of people. Yeah, where's the action? Yeah. Uh, and if not now, or if... The Productivity Commission is mm. priority, I get that. But but when, so that we make it, sure that this thing is, yeah. you know, is meaningful? And and that's right. It's it's all very well to say, yeah, we support this. Now you've got to put your money, you, you know, you've got to allocate the resources mm. and get the departmental staff working on developing up, you know, doing the, cons you know, when you're talking about strategy, work program for that, yeah. et cetera. So then it's a question of, and sometimes, it, I call, you know, nag power. And there's, I mean, there's been a significant amount of investment that's going into mental health, uh, not only with the Greens but nationally, right? So I mean, there's, yeah, there's some really, the resources are sort of really starting to come to do this, which will hopefully then help drive not only the workforce but the, you know, the delivery yes. of some of it. Yes, and that's you know, it's getting the allocation of the resources is one thing making sure then they're spent in the most appropriate way mm. is really, really important as well. And doing that critical analysis of whether that program is working. So giving it time to work, because I'm also very critical of the very short funding cycles where maybe flavour of the month, two years, three years, everyone knows who's run a program. It takes you a little while to get up and running. You make a few, you know, like you've got to you tailor it, it you've got to measure it. Exactly. 
And you can't do, do that in short-term funding cycles and people get very weary and particularly it seems to happen in the bush a lot. Mm. Um, they get very weary of things constantly changing all the time just when something might be working. Something else becomes the flavour of the month so then we'll put funding there. Also translating, and one of the issues that came up was translating some stuff from the city into the bush and it not necessarily working. So one of the things that we heard, you know, and I totally appreciate the step care model, totally, you know, get it. But what we heard was in some places in the bush it wasn't quite working that way and it actually stopped them doing some of the other work that was really important outreach work. Mm. So it, it had got in the way, and that's not to say, well, you throw out, I'm not, you yeah. know, no one was saying you, you throw out the step care model, but you actually look at the applicability and circumstances in the bush, for example. You've got to be flexible while still maintaining the integrity of, you know, yeah. the provision of services. And what's effective and what's working, right? I mean, because yes. you're right, if we should be doing more of what is working yeah. and, uh, yeah, focusing some of our attention resources yeah. on that. Yep. Okay, so so you're you're feeling optimistic. Obviously, the inquiry you feel like was obviously worthwhile. Uh, I'd say, well, I hope um, people out there think it was worthwhile. We yes. certainly think it focused, it highlighted a, a range of issues and put it put them on the agenda. Hmm. Um, and we've already seen an increase in investment in mental health uh, mental health services in the bush. Um, not enough but there has been an increase in, in resources. We now need to get these other more allocated, but um, the implementation of the recommendations. So yes, optimistic in terms of governments listening, but they need to do more than listen. Yeah. They need to, and, and not just use platitudes. I'm not accusing them at the moment of using platitudes, yeah. but it'll turn into platitudes if they don't start taking some action. So if we look at the next couple of years, obviously you're going to keep ringing the bell for rural and remote mm. mental health and making sure that something's actually getting done. And, and I've got to say there are many senators in, in the parliament. There, there are many senators in the parliament who are also, also uh, very focused on rural and regional mental health as well. Yes. So they're also helping and supporting. Well, know, they're, you know, they're raising the issue all yep. the time. They're keeping it on the, you know, as mm. well, keeping it on the, keeping it on the, um, front foot yes. and in front of people. So um, there is there is a recognition. Uh, there's a broad recognition around mental health and the need to and continue continuously uh, improve our commitment and ref and making sure we're funding adequate services. But there's also with that continued awareness, the increasing awareness around mental health issues. There's also the awareness of the need to make sure that we're providing adequate and tailored services for the for the bush. Yeah. So then, Rachel, if we look at uh, if we look at the next few years, then uh, you're obviously mental health still an advocate out there. You're in Perth and WA. Mm. What what's the future hold for you? Where do you think you're you're going with with respect to either mental health or with what you're up to? Uh, obviously, pursuing these recommendations yeah. uh, in terms of and. One of the key things that I'm also particularly passionate about is mental health services and supports for First Nations peoples because we still yeah. haven't, we're still not there. We're, and I think it's, it's refining and support, making sure that First Nations peoples have the control over the decision making is really essential. So I think looking at the, where they're going, you know, you've got this co-design process now for closing the gap. And look, I think that is going to be tremendously promising for the way health services are provided and including mental health services. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll continue to campaign for this, this concept of parity of, of esteem because you know, I don't think that, and everybody, when you use parity of esteem, everyone you know, looks at you like, what are you, hell are you talking about? In other words, making sure that mental health is the same parity with your physical health. Yeah. And we're not there yet in this country. We're not there around the world. And Canada's putting a lot of effort into this. Uh, the UK is putting a lot of effort into dragging up the, the, you know, making sure that physical and mental health are considered equally. And that means that we need to still do further work because they're still not there yet.
we're still much more begging for money for mental health than we are for health. I'm not saying that spending on health is perfect, but um, in general, but mental health is still not up there. Mm. And so we'll keep pushing for that. Well, you're clearly someone who's very passionate uh, in not only this topic, but a lot of really relevant uh, issues, you know, ageing, uh, Indigenous or First Nations people, um, community stuff as well. I mean, all that's, it's so important and I appreciate the work you're doing. Someone that's in the, that's, that's on there and that's able to influence this is really, uh, we really admire that and appreciate the work that you're doing. Is there any uh, final, final words you want to say as, you, as we depart? Uh- it's just, oh, there's so many things. I suppose, you know, like I'm in awe of the work that people do in, in mm. this area, the, the, particularly in the bush, across the board in mental health, but in the bush in particular, people really go above and beyond. And there's so many excellent people. The thing is many of the programs that I see uh, that are successful are the, are the programs that are driven by people. There's people out there caring and suppose it's to keep supporting them, but Mm. also realising that we need a system that's robust enough for the people that are doing that really good work to be able at some stage to step down and others step in and that we just don't have programs that are wrapped around particular people's expertise Mm. because that is not a sustainable system. While it's absolutely fantastic, we need something that, that is truly sustainable into the long term. Yeah, they need better support. They need people to come and help them exactly. because they're out there doing it as exactly. much as they can. Exactly. Frustrated yeah. by the challenges. And, and often used up by government because, yeah. you know, oh, well, you know, that's going really well. It's not recognised mm. that actually we need to be making all of these services sustainable. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, the, the recommendations from the inquiry be put into action, as I'm sure many people are in rural and remote Australia. Mm. And we appreciate the time and energy you've put into that as well as the rest of the team uh, for coming up with that. So looking forward to progressing mental health in rural and remote communities and thank you very much for your time, Senator. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you very much. Is there someone working in mental health who you'd like to be featured on the podcast? Are there more questions you want the answers to? Let us know what you want to hear. Get in touch with us by emailing any podcast suggestions to membership at anzmh.asn.au and be sure to stay up to date on our socials at ANZMHA on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you very much for listening and we look forward to sharing our next conversation.